Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology, and first daily Mormon history podcast. I'm Rick Bennett. We're going to dive deep into the Book of Mormon and talk about old world geography theories. Now, these are theories that uh, most proponents generally pretty well accept, um, but we'll talk about some other interesting theories as well. So you won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. Let's jump into uh, old world geography. And um, this is one area that I think that for the most part, most, most people who believe in the Book of Mormon pretty much agree with, uh, and that's Middle Eastern geography. Um, it seems like the frankincense route out of uh, Israel and into the Arabian Peninsula. I, I don't know anybody that really disagrees with that per se. Uh, there's, you've probably heard of Nahum. Uh, proponents of this theory call it a bullseye. That was where uh, Ishmael was buried. It was a land called Nahum. There's a Journey of Faith CD that uh, documents this Middle Eastern uh, geography very well. Got a picture there and there's a link as well. Um, and I've got a, kind of some screenshots you can see for those of you, you know, start out at Jerusalem, go down to the Sinai Peninsula, and then into the Arabian Peninsula. Um, and then on that third uh, map there, you can see they basically take a left and end up in Yemen or Oman. Um, I don't, for Book of Mormon proponents, I don't think that this is controversial at, at all. I think pretty much Everybody agrees that this is probably the likely the route that uh, Lehi traveled and, and his family and ended up in um, Yemen, Oman area. And we'll talk about a couple of ports here. But in the interest of uh, full disclosure, I'm always somebody who likes to listen to pro arguments as well as con arguments. Um, this is a photo of John Hamer. He's a 70 in the community of Christ. Um, he left a comment on a blog and he said, it should, no, it should come as no shock to us that Nahum, a Hebrew prophet in the Bible, has a Semitic name. It should therefore also come as no shock that there are places in Semitic-speaking countries that share that name, or at least its continents, NHM. Of course, Hebrew wasn't big on vowels, and so you could take NHM and, and refer to different places. John continues, when I first wrote about NHM on a bulletin board, I did a quick test. I said to myself, they speak Arabic in Iraq. Let's see if there is an NHM in Iraq. A quick search, Google search picks up on a place called Nahum in the Mesen province, immediately south of Al-Amara. In other words, if the Book of Mormon had said Lehi and his party traveled past Babylon, there was another potential Nahum bullseye waiting in Mesopotamia. Another Google search shows there's a historically a town called Nahem in Lebanon, halfway between Tyre and Acre. If Joseph Smith had sent Lehi to America via Phoenicia, that would have been another bullseye. John continues, he says Nahem, NHM is not a bullseye. John says it's not even noteworthy. Given one 
has the entire volume of a large Semitic country in which to find comic Semitic root, we would be surprised not to find a place name that is somehow similar to NHM. So anyway, there's, there's kind of the, the con to that argument as well. Now, there's a couple of ports in Yemen. Um, Warren P. Aston has promoted Korkofut as a port. Um, he has a book called In the Footsteps of Lehi, New Evidences of Lehi's Journey Across the Arabic to Bountiful. You can see that lush green uh, uh, shore there. Uh, very, you know, it seems to match a lot of uh, places with the Book of Mormon. Uh, there's another proposed port uh, called Kororri. George Potter has done a lot of, of work on that. He has a website at www.nephiproject.com, and I interviewed him a while back. His book is called Lehi in the Wilderness, and uh, I've got a link there as well. Um, both, I, I would say both of these are really good. Uh, I actually asked Brant Gardner which port he, he preferred. I was surprised he, he preferred George Potter's over uh, Warren Aston. I think the BYU folks like Warren Aston's a little bit better. But they're both really, really good, plausible places for where Nephi built a ship. So let's jump into uh, some of the internal theories. I know this is going to be something that Heartlanders are not a fan of, but I think it's still important to talk about when we're talking about all the theories. And uh, most everyone bases their theory on John Sorensen's uh, book, Mormon's Map. Uh, he's probably the most respected expert on Book of Mormon theories. Uh, he talks about historical theories as well. Uh, there's his book there. It's actually a really short book. You can, you can jam through it pretty quickly. And I've got a link there that you can see. I, I know Heartlanders aren't, aren't fans of that. Um, I have to tell you, this is where I became a little bit of a, car, a convert uh, to the Atlantic crosswing uh, of the ocean. Um, John Lefgren, good friend of mine, just found out he's in the hospital, and I'm sad to hear that. So God bless you, John, if you're watching. Um, get, get well soon. We, 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 we love you and miss you. But John helped me arrange an interview with uh, Philip, or excuse, yeah, Philip Beale, and Philip is kind of a modern-day Columbus. I don't know how many, you, some of you, many of you are probably familiar with Philip. Um, I will tell you, I went into this interview quite skeptical, and Philip made me a believer. <laughs> so the interesting thing about Philip, he's not Mormon. He's, he's, he didn't know anything about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, he was just a sailor. Uh, he joined the UK Navy. To, be, to learn how to sail, and he loves to sail ancient ships. His first voyage was from Indonesia to Africa. People said he couldn't do it. That was a, recreating a voyage, uh, I think it was 300 AD or 400 AD. And then he found out that the ancient Greek philosopher Herodotus had said that um, the Greeks had, or the Phoenicians had circumnavigated Africa. And Philip, and it, and it was in 600 BC, which is for Book of Mormon believers a very interesting year. Um, they actually found a Phoenician ship buried in the uh, in a port in France. Um, so he used that as his model, and 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 decided that he was going to do this. So this was back in 2009. The interesting thing about this is 
Uh, you probably heard of the movie with Tom Hanks called Captain Philip. It's not Philip Beale, it's uh, another Philip, Captain Phillips, um, who unfortunately got captured by Somali pirates. That was the same year that Philip Beale, in his wooden sailboat, <laughs> decided he was going to circumnavigate Africa. Um, now, unlike Lehi, Philip had a satellite phone <laughs> and some a few things, but but basically he was his 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 idea was he wanted to circumnavigate Africa. Well, he got down to Cape Town, had a really bad storm, just like happens in Second Nephi, blew him back about 18 miles. But as he as he turned the Cape of Good Hope there, um, the winds just naturally blew him. He was trying to circumnavigate Africa, right? He's trying to recreate this old voyage. It blew him only 300 miles away from Florida. Well, that wasn't his goal. His goal was to circumnavigate Africa. So he, he turned around, turned the ship around and went back. Now, the interesting thing is it took Philip two years and two months. It took the ancient Phoenicians three years to circumnavigate Africa. So this is not a short voyage. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I did ask Philip um, about, well, I'll, maybe I'll talk about the Pacific crossing in just a minute, but uh, one of the things he says, you know, when you're talking about 600 BC, nobody has diesel engines, nobody has nuclear you know, power, you're relying on wind. And when you're doing wind power, west is best. And so, um, anyway, I've got a couple of links there to uh, the transcript of the interview. I became a big believer in Philip Beale. Um, he, the funniest thing about Philip is he didn't just do this once. He decided, no, I want to do it again. Uh, the second way, um, this is a lot of you think, uh, believe that uh, the Mulekites may have taken a Mediterranean route. Well, the interesting thing about this, Philip recreated this voyage as well. It only took him nine months. Once you get through the Mediterranean Sea around to Spain, um, he basically followed Christopher Columbus's route, uh, once again ended up in Florida. Um, of course, this was a lot shorter trip, a lot easier trip in the sense that it only took nine months, so it's a lot more straightforward way to go. And uh, I did ask him also, well, could you, you know, because I'm always interested in all the theories, not just one, um, could, you, could you take that to, say, Guatemala? And he said... Well, if you knew where you were going, yeah, but it's going to take you right to, you know, the Caribbean and Florida naturally. And that's, you know, kind of what it, it did with Christopher Columbus. So, so anyway, I, I really respect Philip Beale a lot. I, I think what he did is amazing. The sad thing was, it was he landed in Florida right as COVID hit. Um, I'll encourage you guys to visit um, Betty and Mike LaFontaine here. They're helping build a, a Phoenician museum and they're, they're trying to... Uh, get Philip's ship and they're rebuilding it uh, across the river uh, from the Nauvoo Temple in, Ohio, in Iowa. So visit him for sure. Um, let's talk about the Jaredite crossing. This was something I just found out on Monday. I just added this slide this morning, literally this morning. Um, and there's a guy named Blair Bryant. I believe he's a Community of Christ member. I might, he might not be, but I think I'm pre pretty sure he is. Um, he was talking about the Jaredites, you know, with their barges. And uh, basically, he proposes that the Jaredites came across China. Of course, one of the benefits of that is a lot of the DNA experts believe that the Book of Mormon has Asian DNA. 
And so this would explain why they have Asian DNA. But you know, they're just bobbing around in the ocean and it took the Jaredites 344 days to cross the ocean. And basically they weren't sailing, they were just following the currents. Now, if you remember uh, a couple years ago, there was that big earthquake in Fukushima, Japan. The nuclear power plant melted down. We were worried about nuclear radiation, but there was a, it was caused by a massive earthquake. One of the amazing things about that earthquake was a lot of ships and soccer balls and <laughs> personal items followed this red route here that you can see on the map. And about a year after the Fukushima earthquake, you're finding boats and soccer balls and personal items that are ending up in California. Well, the currents do take you up along the, the Beringia, uh, Alaska Straits. I don't, this is me, and you can tell I don't have really good Photoshop skills, uh, kind of drawing the, the, the basic current there. But, uh, you know, this is another way to go, and it, was about a, it took about a year. You don't need wind power. The one thing I did mention to Philip Beale about this was anytime you go closer to the North Pole or closer to the South Pole, those seas are incredibly rough. And he said it's very tough sailing. So if, the, if this is what the Jaredites did, it would have been very, especially as you get up around Alaska, those seas are going to be very rough. You know, remember the, the thing about the two holes, one on the top, one on the bottom. Um, and so, I mean, it's an interesting theory. Like I said, I only learned about it on Monday, so I don't have a lot, a lot of information on it. Um, I, I think I probably could get a little bit more information on that because I think he presented about a couple of months ago, but I just found out about it on Monday. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting theory as well. Now, this is the theory that the Mesoamerican proponents proposed. Basically, once again, you can see they start off in Yemen, Oman, that sort of area, Kor Kofut or Kororori. You know, they got, kind of go around India. Once again, my drawing skills aren't that great, but this is basically the idea. The problem with a Pacific crossing, it's twice the distance of an Atlantic crossing. We already know it took Philip two years to, to go around Africa. So this would, I mean, if it's twice the distance, what's that gonna take, four years? Um, you're against the wind. I asked Philip specifically about, because there is an equatorial countercurrent, and when you look at it, it, it ends up right in Guatemala. So if you're a meso expert, in one sense, that's really appealing. And I asked Philip about that. He says, here's the problem. That equatorial countercurrent goes about one mile an hour, and the wind is going to blow you in the opposite direction. <laughs> and so it's going to over overcome that countercurrent. You have to rely on wind power. And so kind of this equatorial crossing just isn't feasible. This is the one that you see on the, the uh, Journey of Faith DVD. And so I think if you're, gonna, if you're gonna cross the oceans on a 600 BC ship, you're gonna have to take the Atlantic Ocean. I just, I just personally don't believe Pacific Ocean is a, a plausible way to go. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about the old world geography. In our next conversation, we're gonna talk a little bit about African, Asian, and new world theories of the Book of Mormon. I will just mention a couple of other things here on, on this map. 
Um, you'll notice here around India, there's a little island there. That's the island of Sri Lanka. Just keep that in mind. As we continue on the second map, you can see that it goes down the Malay Peninsula. Those are two other geography theories that we're going to discuss now. If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, subscribe on either Patreon or at GospelTangents.com. For just $5 a month, you can hear the entire audio uninterrupted. On our $10 tier, if you'd like to see the whole video, you can see that uh, either on YouTube.com slash GospelTangents, or I've got a special Facebook group devoted for uh, full videos. So subscribe at GospelTangents.com and uh, sign up for just $10 a month. For $20 a month, if you'd like to get some bonus content, uh, maybe some of the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, you can sign up for that. And then if you'd like to talk to me for $100 a month, we'll, we'll do a monthly phone call on something like Zoom, and you can ask me anything you want. So thanks again. Also, don't forget about the merch, mugs, t-shirts, um, hats, things like that. I'm trying to get the ties up there. Hopefully I can get up, up there. And uh, thanks again for watching Gospel Tangents. And click here for some more videos. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.